Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bachman, a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we explore who the real Jesus is, with his love, with his power, and with his endless pursuit of humanity, with the hope of changing our lives. On today's episode, we're reading John chapter 8, verses 1 through 47. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. 
He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Today, we have a shorter reading because there is a lot to unpack here, as usual. (laughs) There are a handful of key statements that we're going to zoom in today during our recap. So in summary, today's reading started with the woman caught in adultery, and then about four or five statements that we're going to investigate. You may or may not know this, but the story of the woman caught in adultery is not included in some of the earliest manuscripts. There is an asterisk in in many Bibles, most Bibles, um, that will tell you this. Our goal is not to investigate what that means or ramifications, but the story is on par with the Jesus that we see throughout the story, and so that's what matters, and we're going to go off that. The main takeaway, for me at least, is this idea that it's so easy to judge and condemn someone without realizing that we too are guilty. If we are going to confront someone about their sin or try to keep them accountable, we must do it humbly and in the realization and heart that we too are as needy, if not even more needy, of Jesus's grace and compassion. If we have the heart of comparison and accusation and pointing the finger, we have failed Jesus and the sanctification process. Here is also another sad reality, that the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people who had had the word of God and God was working in their midst chose and continued to subject women to a different standard than to themselves. You will often see male leaders accusing women, oh, she's caught in adultery. Well, there was a man involved too. Like that isn't righteousness. 
to just point out one person's fault and say the other is faultless. It's hypocritical and wrong. And it's part of the reason why we have such a pushback and challenging of patriarchy is because if any group holds power, they will abuse it and manipulate it. And the healing isn't then to go to the other extreme, but to hold ourselves accountable for, man, whoever has power is very much tempted to accuse others and not let themselves be criticized. And you could say, well, Brian, Jesus doesn't say that in the text. Well, yes, but let's be mindful of the rest of scripture where he says, if a man even looks at a woman lustfully, he has committed adultery. So obviously, if he's committed adultery with her, he has committed adultery. It's so easy to be unaware of some of the bias. Scripture is infallible and pure and perfect. But just because a speaker is speaking in the text, in the story, does not mean that their assumptions and their words are pure and perfect. Does that make sense? Like God is writing the story through human beings. The account is trustworthy. But these Pharisees themselves, who are in the story, are not trustworthy. It's similar to when David commits adultery with Bathsheba. His actions, being a man of God, doesn't make everything he does infallible. The scripture is trustworthy, but the characters aren't always trustworthy. We would have an incorrect impression of God to believe that these Pharisees speak the heart of God and that the woman was guilty and not the man too. So this concept of the characters not being trustworthy is a perfect segue to the rest of what we're talking about today. A few of the statements we're looking at are, number one, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they're trying to understand Jesus, even though as we've been seeing their questions and their heart and how they're trying to trap him, as the scripture tells us, their heart isn't good. And here's the interesting thing. He actually did have more witnesses. John the Baptist's purpose was to prepare the way for the Lord. He says, here comes the Lamb of God who will take the sins away from humanity. I mean, that is a deity declaring statement. And he says many other things like this. John the Baptist testifies of him. His disciples testify of him. But Jesus doesn't even use these examples. He goes straight to his father. I believe he does this because he's going after the heart of the Pharisees. Surely they would know the facts I just said about John the Baptist and others' disciples and healings and all angels and shepherds. So many testifiers, if that's a word. And Jesus doesn't dialogue with them in this logical rhetoric debate. He goes after their heart and saying, none of that even matters because you can have false human testimony. He goes after the heart by saying, my father, who was creator of heaven and earth, the God, he's the one who testifies with me. I do his works. In some ways, his language seems confusing and not clear. And in others, he is very clear, as we will see in just a minute. But before we do that, there's the second similar statement. Where is your father? Jesus responds in an interesting way. He says, you would never know the Father because you don't know me. Here we see this interesting parallel that if you know Jesus, you know the Father. And if you know the Father, you accept Jesus. Because they are, again, I'm going to screw this up, different manifestations, different persons, the Trinity, it's confusing. They are the same and yet kind of different. (laughs) But if you know one, you know the other. And Jesus fleshes this out by saying, I am from above and my father is from above. And if you do not believe that I am he, 
you will indeed die in your sins. Now, the interesting part about that statement is there isn't a lot of specifics to it, but it's very much implied. He being the Christ. He being the prophesied one from God. If you don't believe that I am the Messiah, you will die in your sins. Jesus is speaking very plainly here. And yet the listeners refuse to believe, refuse to be curious, refuse to be open. They remain confrontational and against him. And it's possible that I'm reading this wrong. But when the Jewish listeners say, who are you? It's kind of a ridiculous question. He's already told them. And this is another moment where they theoretically should have been picking up stones because he's saying that he's God. He's the Messiah. He's from heaven. God is his father. And yet they don't believe. And yet they say, who are you? He's been telling them. That's what's, I mean, it's kind of funny. I used to read this all the time and just be like, oh man, these poor guys, like they keep asking like who Jesus is and he's never responding because I hadn't soaked in the scripture enough to see how many references he's making. They're being difficult. And again, this isn't about, oh my gosh, they are difficult and we aren't, or Jewish people are like, that's racist and anti-Semitic. No, the Jewish people, as always, are representing the human heart. They're real people, these are real stories, and yet God seems to love parables because he knows how human beings work. It's so much easier for us to see ourselves in a story and be convicted and see and, and sadly identify with the villain or the problem person. It's less threatening. And so we can more easily accept it and explore it. Think about the story of David. After he commits adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan, a prophet, does not come to David and say, hey man, you have murdered and com- you've committed adultery and murdered to try to cover it up. You were a horrible person. He had every right to say that. But no, he doesn't do that. He tells a story. He gives a parable that's a direct comparison to David's life. And David responds in outrage saying, the man who did that should pay. He should die. And then shortly after, David realizes he is the antagonist, the villain, the problem in the story. I think it's God's great mercy and kindness and opportunity for us, instead of being proud, instead of thinking we're better than these um, people of antiquity, these people who didn't have all the facts, to realize we still struggle on a daily basis like they did. We're not better. And we would grow and be benefited so much more by seeing how we identify with these problem people who are obstinate and difficult and stiff-necked and doubting and accusing and violent and mean and everything anti-God, than to to think that somehow we're better and more evolved or more spiritual. That is the pitfall and the danger to think that we have somehow arrived or are better or superior. Instead of, as Jesus and others say in in the scripture, he who has been forgiven much loves much the more that we see our brokenness and our need, our desperate need for cleansing, our desperate, miserable falling short of his glory and holiness, that makes Jesus all the more sweeter. I'll level with you. It takes, and I'm going to mix this up, so give me some grace here, but it's this strange tension between the spiritual and physical world. Yes, the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us like God, more like Jesus. 
And we play a strange part in that. We can resist God. We can resist the Holy Spirit or we can yield to his sanctifying, changing process. And I believe part of our part is being vulnerable and being honest. And instead of finding every reason why we're not at fault in a non-shame, non-judgmental way, looking for every reason we actually are at fault, and yet still amazingly loved, pursued, desired, and fought for by this God. I believe that is the Christian's sweet spot. Not looking for ways to excuse our failures and shortcomings, but boldly accepting them, tackling them, talking about them, owning them, and realizing we are desperate, desperately in need of the power of God to make us more like Christ. In our faith, in our belief, in our love, in our service, in our patience, in our forgiveness, our not giving upness to be more like Him and the fruit of the Spirit. Two more short points before we wrap up today. Remembering earlier how I was talking about Jesus is identifying Himself as God and as Messiah. He says another statement that is echoing that. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? (laughs) No human being can make that claim and and be accurate and be true. This is another part of the, the Bible that's beautiful. It's open to criticism. There are hundreds and thousands of witnesses, and no one was ever able in antiquity to say, well, Jesus sinned. He isn't perfect, like he said. He's not God, like he said. No one could prove him guilty of sin. They were speechless. My gosh, that should have been enough to be like, wait, who are we talking to? I sin like 30 times a minute. And this man hasn't, no one can call an attention to his sin? And then lastly, this bold and, and maybe confusing, I think it's, it's actually done in love and compassion, where Jesus said, If God were your father, you would love me, but you belong to your father, the devil. Maybe that seems harsh. In one sense, I guess it is. But I believe the heart here is saying, guys, you are so far gone. You're very much in the danger zone. You are accusing God of being evil. You are missing out on eternal life and communion with God. God is right here in your midst, and you are rejecting him face to face. Only the devil would do that. Don't be like him. It should be a wake-up call. On some levels, a radically uh, too small of a comparison, and yet I think it's it's a meaningful parable. It'd be as if a doctor said, hey, like you have the beginnings of lung cancer. You have to stop smoking or you're going to die. Like you will end your life so much sooner than it needs to end. It's a call out for preservation and restoration. Don't fall off the cliff. Jesus isn't being mean or nasty. He's actually being very kind. I'm I'm actually reminded of of the sermon at at church today. There's a a challenging um, quote, I believe. The idea that a good friend is someone who will challenge you and sometimes upset you and offend you, not for the sake of offending you, 
but because they see something destructive in your life. They see you harming yourself or your family. And so they're willing to offend you. And I do this as a counselor on a regular basis. It's, it's quite uncomfortable at times where I see someone doing something so destructive. And of course, I play the part of affirming and being kind and being for you. But being for you means then too, I will say, hey friend, you're also hurting yourself gravely here. And I think Jesus is being a good friend and he's saying, hey, even though you are smearing my name and hating me, I'm still wanting you to see that you're on the road of destruction and it doesn't have to be that way. It's amazing how patient Jesus is and he's this basically life preserver that's trying to save us. And I don't know about you, but I often resist him and his ways because it feels like death. It's so hard to surrender. And yet I'm so thankful that he doesn't give up even when I push him away. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Remember to check out new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. And I'll see you then.